everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true, people. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet. We've got articles on writing, you know, the crafted business of writing, if you're into that, but also articles on the writing life. It's what it is to wake up and say, I want to write something that didn't exist yesterday. That takes a certain kind of psychology. And we write about that too. I do it uh, two or three times a week in the author's, the editor's blog. Yes, I do. So you got that. But we also have video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors of all genres, My conversation with Michael Elias is up there now. Fascinating guy. Worked in film, worked in television, worked on the stage. He was a comic. Now he's a novelist, a suspense novelist. What an interesting man and a friend of today's guest, as a matter of fact. Yes, he is. Check it out. That's all on authormagazine.org. And we're funded by the wonderful Pacific Northwest Writers Association. People who have been supporting writers from pen to publish publication since 1955. We're going to do our conference virtually this year, I believe. It looks like. I think that's been settled. Uh, so it'll be wherever you are. doesn't matter. You're in Timbuktu, you can come to the conference. You're in Seattle, you can come to the conference too. doesn't matter. That's right. You'll be able to benefit from it. It's going to be worldwide. It's going to be global. I believe I'll be participating uh, since it's going to be uh, global. Uh, so uh, I will. I hope I see you in whatever form that is there. Check it out at uh, pnwa.org. So a couple weeks ago, I said I had some news. Well, I do. I do have some news. Another book. That's right. We just finalized the details with the publisher, Penguin Random House, today. It'll be out, I hope, next April, early May. Sort of in the same family of fearless writing. This one, I believe, unless things change. Sometimes they do. But as of now, the title will be Everyone Has What It Takes. Yes, they do. But going after self-doubt. Deep self-doubt. So that's just something to think about. Just something to think about. Everyone has what it takes. You've maybe heard me talk about it some. You've read my stuff. Maybe had me write about it, but nope. Book coming out late May, early April, late April, early May next uh, year, 2021. But I will not speak of it again, I don't think, until it is available for pre-order. But I just thought I'd let you know. Just Just something to think about. Something to look forward to, right? Of course. All right. Enough about me. Let's talk about today's guest, Amy Liu. Amy's the author of numerous best-selling novels, as well as nonfiction books on medical and psychological topics. Her work has appeared in the Los Angeles Times, Los Angeles Review of Books, Ms., and many other publications. She is the, on the faculty of Goddard College's MFA Creative Writing Program, right here in Port Townsend, Washington. Well, I'm in Seattle, but Port Townsend, Washington, not far from here. Amy earned her MFA from Bennington Writing Seminars. Uh, She also graduated from Yale University. Yeah, she's been around. She worked as a flight attendant, edited business and trade publications, and was an associate producer for NBC's Today Show before turning turning to writing full-time. Her latest novel is Glorious Boy, and she's here with us today. Amy, how you doing? Hi. I'm fine, Bill. Thank you, and congratulations on your... On your new publication, that's uh, yes, probably well, right up there with launch days, the most exciting days, the day you make it, your it deal on the book. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I'm in good spirits. I was a little down last week. Things were looking kind of apocalyptic in the country, but maybe a little less yeah. so now. And so 
Well, anyway, here we are. Amy, you're down there in L.A. We were just talking to you down there in Venice. Uh, mm-hmm. Are you starting to get a little stir crazy? Uh, well, not really, because I'm, you know, I'm a writer. <laughs> yeah, so I know. I'm basically at home all the time anyway, so, you know, that hasn't made that much of a difference, although I do like to go to the beach, and I haven't dared yeah. to go to the beach, and I also, yeah. given my druthers, I think I would be out marching, but I don't dare to go out and march, so, right. you know, there's that, but. Right, so there you are at home. Yeah. This is novel number four. Four or five? Four? I write so many other books that it's about, you know, I'm, I'm into my 20s on other books. I ghostwrite, oh. so I, I write oh, oh, lots and lots oh, of other books. Oh, so. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. interesting. Well, all right, before we get to that, I mentioned in my intro, you graduated from Yale. Now, was that was in, was it in studio art? Was it, was it, in, it was. I was a painter, yeah. yeah. Interesting. So this was... Okay, so that was your first sort of inkling about the arts was you thought painter, visual artist. Um, and uh, well, what happened with that? Did you say, this is for the birds, or what happened? Well, you know, it was um, it was great in college, and then I got out of college, and I got a, a loft in New York City, and yeah. my community had all dispersed, and suddenly, you know, it wasn't so much about the paintings. And, right. uh, and I had been a writer before I went to college, and I kind of got um, distracted and, and intrigued by the whole world of art and painters and paintings. And, right. Um, and then I just, I needed, I needed that community, and I didn't have it, but the writing was there for me. So I went back to writing. And the irony is now I've found my way back to art through Instagram. So yeah. I, How do you like I make, that? Well, I love it. I mean, I, I do, you know, not necessarily every day, but pretty much every day. I, 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 make, a, I make a painting on Instagram out of a photograph, and uh, I'm just really, really loving getting that back. So oh, I feel, that's great. I feel like a more integrated person now, so, well, but it's a long time getting there. <laughs> yeah, well, this is what happens as we get a little older. We, we pull all the parts. You know, I feel like we do, if it's true for me anyway, as I get older – and I am getting older. But as I get older, I recognize all the parts of myself that maybe I rejected a little bit, and I now see their mm. value, and I see mm. how they're a part of the whole, the things that I wanted to ignore or I kind of kept hidden. I see their yep. value, and I kind of allow them to be a part of my full life. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I definitely think that's part of what we call wisdom um, yeah. as we get older. You know, we're all yeah. getting older, but uh, some at different rates than others. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I enjoy it. I wouldn't go back a day. I wouldn't. I wouldn't no. want to give up. And I think I that's would. part of what writing does. You know, it, it writing really helps you by telling your story or telling stories that you're. We're always in our stories, even if we're writing fiction, oh. writing about ourselves. So you know, but yep. that's all part of that integration process. Absolutely. You know, it's yeah. funny. I was just. What do you think about? Because you wrote. Uh, you wrote some books about. Uh, anorexia, and yeah. uh, you wrote a memoir based, I think it looks like, on your own experiences with, with eating disorders. And, right, it was the first, um, actually, the right. first memoir of anorexia way back in 1979. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. There, we'll nobody knew anything that. about it back then. It was just... Did it even know. have a name? It had a name that was only clinically used, and I um, it was... 
you know, uh, it's a long story, but, you know, I, right. I, I read an article in Vogue magazine that, that named it, and, and I thought, oh, my God, that was seven years of my life, and nobody else right. had named it. It was never diagnosed or anything, but so that was you know, that. Was that. Well, I, what do you think of this? I, I, I published a piece, and I write an, an essay every month or every week for the Good Men Project, which is this website, which writes about, I just write about whatever I want, really, but uh, this one uh, I wrote about this thing that happened with my grandpa and me when I was 11. It was kind of a me too type thing. And uh, so I published it and I heard from a friend today who said, Oh, Bill, I didn't know about that thing. Have you, I'm really sorry about that. And what struck me was, and I, see if this makes sense to you. Someone who's written about her own life. I just told my wife, which is that if I can write about it, there's nothing to be sorry about anymore that once I've been able to write about it once. And once I have written about it, I have integrated and made sense of it. And the, for me, the pain is over. The right. shame is over. Does that does that resonate with you? Yeah, I think that's why, you know, writing your story is, is a huge part of any kind of psychotherapeutic process. And, um, you know, it's partly getting the story out from deep inside you so you can take a look at it and externalize it and objectify it so that you're not the object, the experience right. is the object. Um, but I also yes. think it's part yeah. of, uh, you know, we do make sense of things as, as we're putting the words on the page. It, it forces yeah. us to kind of contextualize and, and, uh, and, you know, put them in a different perspective. And that's, uh, that's hugely, hugely important. Yeah. You know? Do you feel like you don't really know what you know until you write it? I don't definitely don't. don't. Not only that, but I always tell my students, you know, the, one of the worst things that can be said to a writer is write what you know. I mean, I, so many of my students have been so crippled by that oh, advice, that, that, yeah, that kind of uh, notion that you have to be you have to be the authority on what you're writing about before you start writing. As if right. there's some sort of a gate, you know, some sort of a ticket you have to get before you're allowed to, you know, start putting words on the page. And right. um, my attitude about it is, you know, I, I, write what you don't know, but you need to find out. I mean, you know, that's... I like that. You know what I always say? The thing you, what you, when you say write what you know, you can interpret that all different ways. I think the, for me, what I've always thought is the one thing I know is what I'm interested in. Like, I don't... I, I, w I know I'm interested. Like that, I know. Because maybe you're interested in elves and dwarves, or maybe you're right. interested in. Well, sure. Or maybe you're interested yeah. in why did that happen? That I sure. know. But then the rest. Because don't you get bored if you already know it? I mean, absolutely. To, what's the fun yeah. otherwise? I mean, that's the problem with outlining a book to death, you know, where you it. know everything that's going to happen, you know every beat of the story. I mean, I find great value in outlining books, but always with the understanding that I, I could be, you know, I can throw the outline away tomorrow, but, you know, right. it doesn't own me. It doesn't control the story. It's just a helpful tool to see what might happen next, but not uh, dictate. Yeah. Was the, was the memoir your first book or did you, what, was, how, how did the writing, yeah. like, how did, that was your first book? That was my first book, yeah. And, and I thought working... that it would lead right – I mean, that's another fallacy. I, I thought that write, having written a memoir, I could go right into writing a novel. And I did that without any training in what fiction. Right. I didn't take any craft classes. Right. I didn't know the first thing. And it was, it was just 
a horror uh, that my agent at the time made me promise to either burn or never show up. <laughs> 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 so, but then wow. I, you know, instead of instead of you know going and getting my MFA right then, which maybe I should have, I don't know. But anyway, I I wrote nonfiction for years before I before I got back or before I actually had the courage to to write my first novel. So Did you did you write now you say were you ghostwriting and writing stuff of your own uh, yeah. ghostwriting your yeah. own so you were writing some of your own topic related books. I well you did, I of, did you a lot of co authoring at that time. Oh, so okay. I wrote three three psychology books with a, a psychologist. Um okay. and I did um I was a writer on a couple of books with Dr. Art Uline, who, you know, if your audience is old enough, they'll remember Dr. Art Uline from the Today Show. Um, So I did a couple of his books, and, you know, over the years I've done everything from diet books to business books and everything in between, so. Right. But, but, hanging, hanging there in the, in your psyche was the novel. Sounds like. You, you, okay, so you you set out, you right away dove in. It was just a disaster, but you weren't ready to give up on it. You weren't ready to ditch the the novel. Well, I ditched that novel. <laughs> that novel, but the I didn't novel. ditch the goal the of writing fiction. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I definitely, you know, there's a part of me that thinks that would be interesting to go back and see if there's anything salvageable between the lines. But uh, what's in the lines is definitely not there. But yeah. I, you know, I've written a, a couple of books. I, I tend to write Asian American stories because the thing that you talked about being interested in, the thing that that just I never get tired of is the story of my father's life because my father was half Chinese and born in Shanghai and always Mm -hmm. an enigma to me and my whole family and the story of his well because he was the enigmatic Chinese half Chinese person um, man of few words he very remote very remote and with a lot of interesting you know and frustrating quirks and you know (laughs) and a a past that he never talked about so the past was extremely alluring and the story of his parents marriage which was the the story that i i started telling in my first novel face and then i told in really great detail in cloud mountain my my second novel um is you know it's it's a it's a forever fascinating story of star-crossed lovers and they met in 1906 in San Francisco at the time of the San wow. Francisco earthquake and my grandfather Whoa. was a scholar revolutionary from China and he was working with Sun Yat-sen and then they went back and they lived through the warlord era in China and their marriage spanned more than 20 years and they had four children and you know there was a lot going on in that relationship and that part of my father's family and that was part that was a big part of what he never talked about so writing that's why i say you know write what you need to find out that that was that was a book that i wrote because wrote because i needed to find out uh and then i my family lived in india for two years when i was very young which is you know my yeah my first memories are of india and um yeah so they're that that's when I, I shifted over, focused, refocused. My uh, a character similar to my father, sort of similar to my father, is is in Flash House, my third novel as well. Um, but it's set in India in the Cold War, right. and uh, I was still 
you know, I, I was researching that book when I learned about the Andaman Islands, which is where Glorious Boy is set. So, um, so these books kind of one led to another, right. um, even though they're, you know, they're quite different. The, the uh, Glorious Boy is set during World War II, and Flash House is set during the Cold War, and Cloud Mountain is set way back at the, you know, early part of the 1900s. So right. they're very different historical eras, but they're all, they all keep circling around different aspects of Asia yeah. and and also aspects of, you know, cultural collision and multiculturalism and all of that. That's kind of, you know, I'm a quarter Chinese, and that's kind of core to both my identity and my outlook, and I think exacerbated by the fact that, um my first memories are of India. So when we came, I was right. I was in kindergarten when we came back, and I didn't feel like an American. I didn't feel like I had anything in common with anybody in America. Wow. And, so you, you can know, still so, remember that feeling. Oh you, you gosh, mean that, yeah. You were that young, because yeah. it's so young to have those those experiences. Yeah. That, that I mean, I remember refusing to pledge allegiance to the American flag because wow. you know, I, 70s, I felt like I belonged right? to India. What was I doing? You know, right. pledging allegiance to a to this flag. So right. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. You know, uh, well, I was, I was going to say that it was so interesting to me that you, so you write this memoir and you say, okay, I'm going to write a novel. And even though the novel didn't work out, you were right away drawn to the subject matter that would continue to, to in other words, your instinct was directed and focused and on the subject matter wise, you were already aimed at what you were going to be working on. You kind of knew that you just didn't know how to write a, no, a novel, but right. it is interesting to me that you, because a lot of times what happens is people start off and they actually just come at the wrong thing. They like to have the wrong subject matter. They write about stuff they're not actually interested in. They write what they think they're supposed to be writing. There's a lot of ways we we do writing incorrectly, uh, but you started off pointed in the direction that was authentic to you. You just didn't have the the novel writing chops to pull it off. Because, you know, I will say, you can go from memoir to novel. It's not impossible because the two things are related in many ways, I think. Uh, I think so, but, but you have to learn about, about stru- story structure. Yes, you have to you learn about plot. And, and I, uh, I managed to, I, I think only because it was the first memoir of anorexia and nobody had ever seen anything like it. So I got a pass on a lot of this stuff that I really didn't know about. Right. Um, oh, and I, I see. Okay. And then when I tried to, you know, I tried to replicate what I'd done, I just, I didn't, and and I really, you know, at that point, I didn't know what I was writing about either. I mean, I had some some general tendencies, but nothing nothing that really had the dramatic mm. integrity to, to, you know, to work as right. a novel. So. Right. There was a lot to learn. But I'll bet you all that nonfiction writing, it's strange because it sounds like it was more very, um, very a little left brainy in that it's you know more topic and you know oh, explaining things right and so that's yeah. fine you know but there yeah. had to be somehow that had to be that had to help you in some way I don't know how get you was it was it just going for your MFA and learning that that helped or was there all that nonfiction writing must have done something to shake you up a little bit and. And break down well, it gave me the discipline. You. you know, it, it okay. gave me the discipline. It made me, you know, it, it familiarized me with the publishing industry, and it, you know, it it held me with my agent, and you know, um, and I did a lot of reading during that time. But I think it's mostly wordcraft, 
um, putting ideas together, you know, all that kind of workmanship stuff is important, yeah. whatever you're writing, at the, you know, between, yeah. but, and, and some, some structural issues carry over depending on the kind of nonfiction you're writing, but I was mostly writing kind of how-to books, that, that right. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, that's more like putting a puzzle together than it is like, I mean, I guess you could say that fiction writing is putting a puzzle together. Too, well, it's a different no, kind of puzzle. No, it's different in that you're like, um, you're trying to find out what the puzzle is. You don't even know. Yeah. You don't even really. Yeah, you're learning exactly. what the puzzle is. It's, it's exactly. you know, and I write nonfiction, but it's it's narrative, and I'm always looking to figure out what to learn, what it is I'm actually going to say. So there is the same sense of discovery of like, I think I know I want to write about this thing, but I I'm going to find out. It's so similar to fiction in that way because I wrote fiction for years, and in terms of the you, I, I want to know. I want to discover something. That's how I know. I've written about what I wanted. When I get that feeling of, ah, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that makes sense. You know? And it's the same thing in fiction in a way, right? Like a character talking to you independently. Right. Right. So, uh, what, so, um, glorious boys in India and the, in the world war two, you had India during the cold war. You were writing about turn of the century. There's a lot of research, are you a good yeah. A student? Is that all fun for you, or do you just have to grind through it? No, I love it. I mean, that's a big part of, you know, that's, again, why I write is because I get to learn all of this stuff as I'm writing. Um, ah, like and that. I get okay. to, uh, you know, I get to go through old books and diaries from people who lived, you know, 100 years ago. And uh, um, I, I, it's all, it's all great it's a little frustrating because you do feel sometimes you get in the middle of a project like this and you think i wish i'd already done all of this research but i research as i go Um, and even though i even though i think i wish i'd done it all but i find that if i do a lot of research before i even begin then i forget it all and i can't find it and it's not there when i need it so right it's better especially with the internet now it does make it easier having written a bunch of you know, historically based books before the internet it was much harder. Then. Yeah. Uh, now you know, it's just, you know, you have a question about what's the name of the flower that grew right. in this particular valley and you can look it up online and have it in 10 minutes and it's, you know, it doesn't derail your entire process. That's right. Um, Michael was talking about Michael Elias. I was did my interview with him mm-hmm. uh, and he was talking about like, it's incredible. Like if I want to know what this, you know, library in Brooklyn looks like, I can just go on and yeah. there it is. I don't need to go to Brooklyn or go to Hawaii or go to wherever. I mean, it helps to go there, I think. I yeah. feel it's got to help to be there, but still, oh, it it's does. awfully yeah. handy. I mean, that that is that is the downside because, like I say, I, I, this glorious boy is set in uh, Andaman Islands, which is a, a, an archipelago chain of islands off the coast of Burma that was the western front of the Pacific Theater during World War II. It's as far, yeah. it's as far west as the Japanese occupation got. And mm-hmm. um, it's a absolutely incredibly fascinating history of that whole era. And the, tr- the islands were then also inhabited by uh, indigenous tribes that went back 60,000 years out of Africa. Wow. 
So it was this incredible collision of all of these different cultures, and it had been a penal colony for the British. The British had taken the Indian and Burmese freedom fighters and stuck them in a jail in these remote islands that are, you know, 600 miles from the nearest mainland. Um, So you had all of these different groups in this fascinating kind of collision. But when I was researching the book, I knew about the indigenous tribes. I knew about the penal colony. I had a, a, a the story. The plot came to me in the. I mean, the formal, the the essential emotional plot came to me in a dream. So that was the. Oh, nice. The, the story was based on a dream, but I didn't have the context and I didn't have the historical moment. And I'd heard about the Andamans, and I was really intrigued. So I wanted to locate it there, but I didn't have the the historical moment when the when the story would take place. So it wasn't until I actually got to the Andamans. I ha- I did have to go there. I had to feel the place, see the place, yeah. and I had most important of all I had to discover um archival material that was only available there. There right. were books and right. pamphlets and leaflets that were only published right there by people who right. had lived there during the war. They, you know, These were first-hand accounts of what it had been like immediately before the war and during the war. And they had all the names of people who had you know, been executed by the Japanese and just incredible right. stories of the occupation. And they also, I, my dream had circled around two children who were hiding during an evacuation. Um, and they come out and everybody, including the little boy's parents, have left. That was the dream that I had. That was the core, and that is the beginning of the book. Right, yeah, um, great beginning. But I didn't know when the evacuation was, and I didn't know that there had actually been an evacuation in the Andamans in 1942, just uh, less than two weeks before the Japanese landed. So, and there were whites who were left behind from that evacuation ship, and they were imprisoned, and some of them were murdered by the Japanese. So all of that became part of the the story. That all became part of the novel. But it wasn't until I got to the Andamans, I didn't know any of that World War II stuff. And so there was an example of the Internet wasn't doing it for me because the internet was filled with tourist shots of the beaches and stuff like that, which was really not helpful. And a little bit of information about the indigenous tribes, but not, you know, there's a, there's a moment early in the book where the, um, I'm forgetting the characters names, but the doctor leaving the father. Yeah. Yeah. And there he's getting ready to go. And he says, uh, and he smells, um, the night, night jasmine. The night jasmine. He goes, Oh, I wish we could take you of course, we could take that with us. And I thought, you know, maybe you could research and you know to stick that in there. But that's the kind of detail you usually only get by being there and smelling it and, you know, putting yeah. yourself in really being, to put, say, okay, let me go back there in my mind and, oh, there's that smell. I just don't know how you can do that virtually. You could yeah, or, I mean, you know, a lot of it came from having lived in India. Like I say, because my first memories were of right. India, I have all these very, right. very deep, right. intense memories of India that 
all they've come into play with both the books that I've written that um, are are there. And the other thing is that you do have to talk to people who've been there. I have a friend who's much more of a globetrotter than I am, and she's been to rainforests all over the world. And so when she read the manuscript, she said, you know, you've got to get in the fact that the forest floor is like a mattress. It's it's everything has fallen down. It's like walking on a huge kind of bottomless sponge and the smell of decay is everywhere because you know everything falls and and it just it goes back millennia you know you have you would have to drill down through you know 2,000 years of of compacted leaves before you got to to the earth um wow and and that's kind of so that people talk about how um vivid the the forest is and how it comes alive in the book but it's because you know it's because i went there because i smelled it myself because i talked to people who have really spent more time than i have around rainforests and um i mean that's that's kind of what it takes it's not you can't just research a book completely from other books i don't think no no it's not enough it's not amy this is fascinating you're a very interesting person. Uh, you've written some very interesting books, and I'm sure you've got more to come. And it's very possible our listeners are thinking the same thing. And they're thinking, ah, she is so interesting. Maybe they've read your books, but maybe they haven't. And they're going to discover. What should they do? Where should they go to learn more about Amy Liu? Well, my, my uh, website is simply A-I-M-E-E-L-I-U.net. So okay. that's the best Amy place Lou. to look for information. All right. Amy Lou. It's all there. Hey, it's do you ever, uh, yep. would you, uh, would you, could you do a uh, virtual a book group if people want you to zoom in and talk to all their Absolutely. Chardonnay drinking? Yes, you do that? I've got several of those lined up. I, I love to do them. Uh, also, if anybody's, you know, they can contact me, but there's also a great organization called Novel Network that organizes um, book group visits from, um, you know, lots of authors. So oh, any nice. book groups that are looking for a, a lead on, you know, all, all different kinds of authors, I, I just want to put in a plug for them because they've been, they've been great. Um, oh, but good. yeah. All right. So you do that. Good for you. Okay. Check groups. it out, people. Check it out. But okay. I'm not quite done with you yet, Amy. What I'd like you to do is finish this sentence for me. If writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? How to think. <laughs> ha! Oh, you didn't know how to do that before, but now you do. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Think so. Well, and also, good. and also, how to feel. I think maybe, and maybe yeah. if I, if I could amend that, I think probably writing and reading both um, yeah. really have been hugely instrumental in you know helping me you know learn to experience and manage emotion. Yeah. Yeah. And empathize Excellent. with others. Yeah. Can't do it. Amy, thank you so much. This was a pleasure. Congrats on Glorious Boy and uh, whatever your next book is going to be. Great. Thank you. And congratulations again to you, Bill. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you, Amy. Thanks a lot. Take it easy. Okay. Bye-bye. Yeah, people. Learn how to think and feel. God, think and feel. You know? You know what? It's true. As writers, you know what we do? You know what we sell people? We sell them feelings. We sell them a felt experience of life. We are feeling merchants. 
That's what we are. All right. Well, y'all, be safe, whatever you're doing. Thank you to my producer, RJ Jeffries. Thanks, RJ. You're awesome. Uh, whether you're sheltering in place or protesting or reading or whatever you're doing, uh, stay safe and uh, find something you love to do. Find something you care about and go do it. The world will be a better place. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.